0: You got a, if you've got a Bible, um, we are not going to be in Luke, we're going to be in a different book of the Bible, and so uh, we're going to be in Jeremiah, uh, and so if you can find your way to Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, for some of us that will be really familiar, if you don't know where Jeremiah is, uh, it's uh, right before Ezekiel, which I'm sure really helps you if you have no idea, it's like two-thirds of the way through the Bible, if you're on an app, just type in Jeremiah, uh, if you have a physical Bible... Uh, It's two-thirds of the way through. Um, We have been in a teaching series uh, working our way slowly through the book of Luke. Um, Luke is one of the the four books of the New Testament, the first four that tell the story of Jesus, and so uh, we have gotten in this wonderful rhythm of reading a section of the book together uh, and then teaching on it week after week, and uh, that has been great. We're about 10 months into that, uh, and we're roughly approaching halfway through uh, the book of Luke, and so we're stepping out of that uh, right now for just the next few weeks uh, because like I said earlier, uh, I think this is a a significant critical moment in the life of uh, not just our church, but but the world in many ways, and um, but specifically for us as a as a church, us as mosaic, uh, and then each of us individually is what is God uh, speaking to us now and where He's leading us. I think this is a important moment right now, and so I want to take a few few weeks just to kind of orient and hear from God uh, as far as looking into the fall and into this next year. So uh, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Uh, um, if you're here in the room, if you're if you're watching online, let's just take a moment just to pause and to take a deep breath and to, to close our eyes uh, and to listen. God, this is, this is your time and space and you have invited us into it. You've called us into it. You have decided to meet with us in this time and we want to we be attentive to you. We want to we want to hear your voice. We want to have a sense that you are alive and working and real and speaking and moving, uh, not just in the universe, but, but in our very souls. The song that we just sang said that you actually care about our souls. You want to tend them and form them. You care about them. And so would in this moment, in this time, would we actually meet with you and hear from you? And Holy Spirit, that cannot happen without you working and moving as we know that you always are. And so we give you permission in this space, in this time, in our hearts and minds right now to be, to be working. Would you have your way with us in this time? And Jesus, we would not be here without you. We would not be who we are without you. We would not exist as a church without you. We need you and your life and your good news, your gospel. And so it's through you that we have and know life, and um, that is true this morning and today and for the rest of our lives. And so would you be our guide and our teacher as we turn to your word now? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So uh, we're stepping out of Luke. I want to take a few weeks to, to see. And, uh, um, where we are and where God is leading us, what God has for us next, where, where we are and, and, and where we're going, kind of a thing. And I want to I want to look at a a text that is that we've looked at before together. Uh, And so so, to some of us, to many of us perhaps, it's a familiar passage of Scripture. If it is brand new to you, that's totally fine and great. I want to kind of tell you a little bit or maybe remind you a little bit uh, of what's going on where these key verses uh, explain and speak to. And so um, God... Uh, what, one of the things that we, we find out about God as we read scripture is that he initiates towards his creation, that the God of the universe doesn't just set things in motion and then step away and sit somewhere in a throne room and watch or forget about, but is actively involved in and regularly, daily, always stepping towards his creation. One of the ways he did that is to pick a people. And so he picked a people and the Hebrews, the Jewish people, the Israelites, he picked them to be his people. And in a a lot of ways, that's fantastic for them. Uh, In some ways, because of who they are, it didn't work out always very well for them. But one of the things that God is doing over and over, and we see this through scripture, through the story of God, is that he is letting us know what his character is like by the way that he relates to his people. So as we look at the story and the history of the Israelites, of the Hebrews, of the Jews, we see who God is by the way that he relates to them. And one of the things that he has called them to is to be a set-apart people that are very different and distinct. And he's given them ways to live, and that's a lot of what we find early on in scriptures, not just the story, the history, but the ways that they are called to live. And then what goes along with that if you've read the Old Testament before, is all of the ways that the Israelites stumble and fall and step away from the kind of people that God has called them to be. And so God calls them to worship him alone. That's a pretty clear, straightforward command. Uh, And they they fail in that regularly and repeatedly. Uh, He asks them to be loving towards other people outside of their own. And they fumble that significantly. He asked them to honor one another, and they can't even do that regularly. He asked them not to make any kind of idols that represent either him or some other god, lowercase g, and they get all creative and make all sorts of kinds of things to bow down and worship and all sorts of unholy practices, inhumane ways of being that counteract what God has commanded them to be and do. So they become different than what God's called them to. And God lovingly, because as a parent, as a father, he disciplines them. And one of his ways of disciplining them is saying, I'm gonna take you out of this land that is prime real estate that I gave to you. I gave you the best land that you could ever dream of. It was better than you imagined, and I gave it to you, and you raised kids in there and crops in there and multiplied and grew and loved life in this land. But then you went away from the kind of people that I'm calling you to be. And so as a parent lovingly, attentively disciplines a child, God says, you're not who you're intended to be, so I'm going to discipline you. And his discipline was taking them out of the land and putting them in another land. God used really powerful slash evil person, Nebuchadnezzar, to transport them from Jerusalem to Babylon. And as they're in Babylon, they are in a place that is utterly different than what they loved. And it's in that place where they're in a, in a foreign land, in a different land, that, that God gives them truth. God gives them a word. God gives them a way forward. And here's what he says. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verses four, five, and six say this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So God is saying, here's a word for you and just, just at the outset here I'm the one that puts you here this isn't an accident you didn't get out of my sight and end up there I orchestrated this and here's what he tells them build houses and settle down plant gardens and eat what they produce marry and have sons and daughters find wives for your sons And give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. God tells them to do some things that they are very, very familiar with. They've planted gardens their whole life as a people. They've planted gardens for as long as they've been in the promised land. They've planted gardens. They're very familiar with what it's like to plant a garden. Some of us are familiar with planting gardens. If we're not familiar with planting gardens, that might seem like a huge, significant challenge. But for them, it was, it was straightforward. They understood what it meant, plant gardens here. Build houses. So they had tents as an option, obviously. Now, if you got taken from a prime place to live and you found yourself in a foreign land that you didn't like anything about it, you would hesitate, you would resist putting down roots, laying a foundation, setting up walls and putting a roof on and building a house because you would want that to be temporary so that you can move back as fast as possible. And yet God says, no, 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 set a foundation, build some walls, put a roof on. If you could figure out running water, best of luck. But build a house and be there. Put roots down. Literally with a garden, physically with a house, and then relationally with a family. <clears throat> Mary. Reproduce. Have offspring. Sons and daughters. Grow families. Make life here what it was there to some degree. Plant gardens. Build houses. Grow families. That's what he tells them to do. Now where are they? Babylon. Roughly 600 years before Jesus is born. Babylon. Six centuries before Jesus arrives. Babylon is not Jerusalem. Babylon is under a a bad ruler, an evil king, uh, with a culture and a language and flavor of food and ways of doing things and temperature and climate. It is all different than Jerusalem. It is a foreign country, a foreign land, a foreign existence. They don't want to be there. They're essentially servants or slaves or second-class citizens. That's where they are. So let's ask a parallel question where are we? That's, that's Jeremiah 29. That's people that have went away from God and that are being lovingly disciplined in a foreign land in a very different situation. That's roughly 2,600 years ago. Where are we? So we've got the year 2022. 20, we know that. Um, we are, and here's, here's a word for you that, that uh, Uh, You might be familiar with. uh, You might want to debate about. uh, You might just have a visceral reaction when I say this word. Here's a word. Where are we? We're post-pandemic. I don't. You want to. You want to debate a little bit, maybe, on what where's that at? Like technically, um, spread-wise, case-wise, we're post-pandemic. Pick a pick a leader, a voice, whoever it might be, and maybe this person says we're post-pandemic. Maybe we're not. Maybe we're getting ready for the next one. Who knows? Post-pandemic. We're generally post-pandemic. We've come through two and a half years of the most bizarre, unsettling, uncomfortable, disorienting experience that most of us have had in our lifetimes. We don't need to compete with, with maybe you've had a more disorienting experience, and and there's some kind of award or a ribbon that we could give you. And so just know that we're impressed with you if you've had a more disorienting experience than this pandemic. But generally for most of us, the last two and a half years has been the most disorienting, unsettling time of our lives. And now we're post-pandemic. And yet, saying post-pandemic, I'm just gonna go out on a limb here and guess that for most of us, that doesn't just warm our hearts and make everything fine. I don't think. My friends, my family, the people I've talked to, many of you, don't have this sense of good. We've crossed the line. We're post-pandemic, and wow, you know what? My shoulders just feel lighter. I, I just find myself smiling more. Just this, everything is, that's just not, that's just not where we're at. So many things have changed. We are in a different place than we were two and a half years ago. And I don't mean just two and a half years have gone by, but the world has changed to such a significant degree that we're having a hard time understanding where we actually are. Economically, things have changed dramatically, haven't they? I'm just going to go through a list here, okay? So just, just sit back and relax and, and just let the onslaught happen, okay? There's not a way to, to dress this up and make it fun and, and pretty and, and warm and, and joyous yet, okay? Economically. Not in a great place, right? You know, we've had to become more familiar with words like inflation and recession than we choose to. It's been uh, 10, 10, 15 years-ish. And we thought we were past that and that was never to come back, right? That would be great. Yet we're, we're right here again and for very different reasons. Some same, some different. We have a, what it looks like to, to buy things and, and what it looks like on, a, on kind of a national scale uh, for people to purchase things is like completely turned upside down. Like people that are involved in marketing and advertising and selling and all that, like that, they said it's just the consumer desires are all over the board. There's no way to predict what's going on anymore. And that's one of the reasons that we are familiar with a term that we'd probably rather not be familiar with. Global supply chain, yippee, right? Like, what, you know, it's, it's really unsettling. My life is more difficult when I click on something on Amazon and it takes longer than 48 hours to arrive in my hand, like, this is, this is, un, I'm, un, I don't know how to survive, like, life is hard, and global supply chain is actually something that we're unfortunately familiar with, we know what that means, and some of us, like, geek out and pay attention to that kind of thing, like, the world is different, socially, what it looks like to relate socially, I don't mean, like, socially inside here, like, as a, as a church, but I mean just socially in our world, now, let's just think nationally, but socially, inequities, between people have gotten greater, not lesser, during the last two and a half years. When a crisis like a pandemic hits and changes everything, isn't it so sad and disappointing that people don't come together and work together? They divide and separate. At least we have at this point in history. And it's contributed in a lot of different ways to people of different backgrounds, of different ethnicities, of different income levels, to be less like others. The divide has grown. People have become more insular, right? Because we can. I don't have to be in the office with so many people as much anymore. I don't have to be around. I have an excuse for being away from people. And even when I am around, we had for a long time, and some of us still do, wear masks. And there's a distance between people there that contributes to being isolated, socially we're in a different place spiritually. Where are we at spiritually? And le- before we ask, just personally, like you and I, and for Mosaic, like just think of the world over. If it, again, if it helps to think, just maybe our nation. And if you're we to take the the temperature of where we're at spiritually as a as a nation, one way to, to assess that is to look at at churches. And to look at churches and where they're at and what they're experiencing and what's going on. And one of the things that we know over the last two and a half years is the continued decline of the local church, and let's just talk local church that's following Jesus and takes Scripture seriously. There's a lot of other kinds of churches out there that follows Jesus and believes he's fully God and fully man, has been shaped by the good news and is taking Scripture seriously. Those kinds of churches have continued to decline. And the the great number of churches that have closed and finished their season of existence and got used them in significant ways, perhaps, but then their time ended and they're done. That number has only increased throughout the last two and a half years. And to look at leaders, that's another way. Just to take the temperature. And as I mentioned earlier in talking about the sabbatical of of knowing the number of leaders who have stepped away, who have become disillusioned, broken in some new way that disqualifies them from leadership, or just simply said, I'm, I don't wanna do this anymore and I've walked away. And unfortunately, I'd, I know personally and secondarily so many pastors who have just said, I'm, I'm stepping away, I'm, I'm done, I don't want to do this anymore. As Howard was sharing earlier, and if you're just watching this separately, um, I'm, I'm gonna take a sabbatical um, early October to early January. And so earlier we were talking about um, why, why that's important and why that's necessary. And I was reminded just a week and a half ago, I think it was, uh, a leader that is about my same age and who's been leading in church ministry as a pastor for about the same amount of time not in the Portland area, in a different part of the country, and I don't know him personally, but just reading about his story and, and stepping away, not because of a massive moral failure, but because of a, of a stepping out of bounds of what it means to be above reproach. And in doing so, both he and his board acknowledged, I'm at a place of unhealth that's not good for me. I'm not able to be. I am no longer above reproach. That's a higher standard than breaking a law or doing something that we all would consider immoral or sinful. But he says, I'm not above reproach, and that's exposing an unhealth in my life. And so he's stepping away for a season and going through a, a period of, of restoration and growth for him with the hopes of, of coming back. And I, I, would, I would love to tell you that, um, that I can lead on month after month, year after year, and not, not need a break. I would love to be that kind of a, a man. I can know intellectually that's not healthy. That's not a worthy goal. But I, I have to be honest and tell you I'm, I'm not that. And I want to take a break and to have a sabbatical in order to grow personally. We sang a song, the first song we sang is, God, would you tend the soil of my soul so that I can be yours? And I want to be able to step away and say, God, I want to be yours before I am fill in the blank, a husband, a father, and certainly a pastor. And I want to be all those things, and I want to honor you in all of those things, but I've got to be healthy first. And as we look over the landscape of leaders, and we can look even with our own city, the number of pastors who have stepped away from leading, or who have fallen and needed to be disciplined, the churches that have closed, we can take the temperature of where we're at spiritually by looking at the churches and the leaders across our nation and in our city, and we can look within our own church and go, God, what is it that you're doing? Where are we? If we're to back up two and a half years, our church looked different. Some of you have found Mosaic. God's brought you to Mosaic in the last two and a half years. We believe that that's God's doing and that God is working in you and us by doing that, and we celebrate that. That is a wonderful and good sign. And yet, for those of us who have been around for, for years, have watched as others have, have left, have left the faith, have left to go to other churches, have left the city. And so our church is different. And there's ways of, of measuring that even. We had two gatherings two and a half years ago. About another year and a half before that, we had another location in, in North Portland. And we talked about churches that we have planted over the years. And as we look in the last two and a half years and gone. Okay, God, we're, we're different as a church. We can look around and see there are fewer people that would, we see on a regular basis. I've used the numbers generally as I think, and this is not scientific at all, uh, and so if you have better numbers, please bring them to me. I want to learn. But I think roughly there's a third of people who call them, themselves part of the Mosaic Church family that are here at 10 a.m. on Sundays. There's about a third that are watching online, at this time on Sundays. And then there's about a third that are somewhere else, sleeping in, working, paddle boarding, skiing, gardening, I don't know, some vacationing, Costa Rica, yeah, that's for you. Um, so that's, that's just a general guess. We are a, a different church. When we ask that question of where are we, we are in a very, very different world, in a different place. Let's ask it personally now. Where are we personally? We know individuals the level of fear and anxiety has skyrocketed. The word epidemic is used just as much for fear, anxiety, and isolation, and loneliness over the last two and a half years, almost as much as it has been in talking about a physical virus a COVID-19. The epidemic levels of anxiety and loneliness. Where we spiritually, for many of us, we can identify Maybe just a, a creeping in, maybe just a, a slight crack where a critical nature has gone in. And for others of you, I, I mentioned the word critical and you're like, oh no, I gave myself over that a long time ago. I'm a full critic of everything that I see, hear, touch, smell, and know is out there. I just don't like anything, including a lot of things I used to like. So whether it's just starting or you're full-blown, yep, I'm, I'm a critical person now. This last two and a half years have turned me into that. And some, it's crept into cynicism. You know, we just We're not sure if anything is ever going to get a little bit better. Those are our realities. Those are our details. Those are our specifics of where we are there are a lot of parallels to 2,600 years ago in Babylon for the people of God, that they could stand and list all of the things that they didn't like. And in that moment, God spoke to them through his prophet, Jeremiah, and said, plant gardens, build houses, grow families. He gave them these things that were familiar and that they had some level of competency and skill and know know-how on how to do. He gave them those things. And then he follows it up with this verse. He follows it up with, and many of us, if not all of us, have heard this before. Several verses later, verse 11, God is saying, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans for your good. I see you. I know you. I'm pursuing you. I'm with you. Even in Babylon, I'm with you. Even in 2022, I'm with you, and I see you, and I know you. And I want to give you a hope and a future. And if there is a recipe for pulling the foundation out of and pull, pulling the very reality a part of and destroying a hope and a future... It's a critical nature that has moved into cynicism, which says there is no hope. And so where we are right now is at a critical turning point where we have two significant paths to choose between. And maybe there are others, but I think there's primarily two paths to choose between. One is to say there are so many things that are different and bad and uncertain that surround me and my reality and my world and my church and my faith and my God and my friends and my marriage and my kids and my home and my work and everything. There is so much that's uncertain and uncomfortable and I don't like it. And so I'm gonna feed that and I'm gonna be critical and move to the point of cynicism and I'm gonna continue on down that path which ends in despair. That's a path and I'm not gonna ask us to raise our hands But there are more than a few of us that have put one foot on that path, at least. And then there's another path. And that path says, everything is different. And there is so much uncertainty. And I have so much fear and insecurity about everything that's going on, about the world and about health and about how much money I'm gonna have and where economics are. And everything is different with my work, and my church, and my God, and my faith, and my friends, and my spouse, and my kids, and my home, and all of it. And I don't like it, and I think it's wrong, and I think it's broken, and I want it to change. And so I'm gonna surrender my heart to the God of the universe who is still in control and aware of all of that. And I'm gonna step towards him and say, God, where are you working? What are you doing? And how can I get on board with you? Those are the two paths that are in front of us. And so where we are in this uncertain time where everything has changed is we find ourselves at a critical turning point. And we will choose. We all will choose. And maybe you've already chosen and you're right now choosing or assessing whether you want to make a different choice, but we all will choose, and one of those two, which way will I go? I want to, I want to put a title on this, on this path, the one that says, God, everything is different, and I don't like it, and yet I believe you're still at work and alive, and you're doing something. And I've used this before here and there and at some of our prayer meetings we did and we did a couple worship nights over the last couple years and this word came up or term came up. But for those of you who haven't heard it before or aren't connecting it to this right now, the term is holy discontent. Holy discontent. And what holy discontent is, is it fully acknowledges the brokenness, the injustice, the sinfulness, all of the things that are wrong about everything in the world. But it doesn't stop there. It then turns and looks inward and says, "Yep, yeah, there's some things wrong with me too. I need a savior. I have a brokenness problem. I have a sin problem. I have a I can't save myself problem. And so God, I'm gonna hold all of that in front of you. And I'm gonna work to align my heart with your heart for this world and for me and you're going to renew my vision for what it is you're doing in this world and how you want to use me and that takes great humility it takes laying down of pride and ego and it says God I am so dissatisfied with everything but I'm going to find hope in you still. These are the very next verses where God reveals exactly what he's doing. In verse 12 and 13 say this Then you will call me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you, God says. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. As we look out at the whole world, if we fail to look inside and turn that lens on ourselves we fail to see the thing that God cares about primarily and first. And that's our heart. Do you, do you realize that reputation that the God of the universe had 600 years before Jesus arrived? Other nations were looking at his people and going like, huh, they look exactly like us. They, they light candles out on a hilltop and bow down to a whole host of gods. They take animals and kill them and sing and chant to a whole bunch of different gods. They take their children and put them to death in the name of some of the gods that we worship over here. They are no different than us. God's reputation was in the tank. And instead of moving his people to Babylon and saying, I'm gonna exile you for this time so that my reputation looks better, he says, the priority is your heart. He tells the people, I'm concerned about your heart. We'll worry about my reputation later. I can handle that. I want your heart. Your heart is far from me. I don't have your heart. And so I'm gonna move you to a different land, a different people, and give you some really simple and obvious tasks to do. But I'm gonna give you those so that I get your heart back. Your circumstances are horrible. What better opportunity and moment to give me your heart back? God is saying to you and I, I want your heart. This is all a mess. And it might get gradually better. It might get worse. It might get a lot better. Who knows? God is saying, I want your heart before anything else, before how I look, before how my churches look, before how my name looks in front of everything. I want your heart. And it's not complicated. It's hardly mysterious about how he goes about it. It's actually very simple. A friend gave me this quote that if you got the letter, if you're on our mailing list and we have your data, you got a letter. It went out a couple days ago. Ours landed in our mailbox Friday. Hopefully yours got to you. If it didn't, it'll land there tomorrow. But a great quote by Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, one of the movies that have been made about him in the last few years. Life is deep and simple. What society gives us is shallow and complicated. It's complicated and shallow. What the world has to offer us doesn't cut it. And so when it's all a mess, we're not out of luck. We're not stuck. We're right where we've always been, being called by a loving creator God who knows us, initiates towards us, pursues us, will never let us go, and says, I've got some simple ways of meeting and being with me where I get to your heart, which is the deepest part of who you are, which is what I'm most primarily concerned about. It's where Jesus begins to transform us what we're going to talk about over the next couple weeks are some simple and yet deep paths that help connect us to the God of the universe. And we all need this. We all need this. And it's the only way that God is going to capture us, transform us, heal us, and give us the kind of courage and resilience that we need to live for him in our city and in our world at this time one of the things that we do on a regular basis is come to the table. We come to to this communion table because it reminds us. It reminds us of this story that we all find ourselves in, and that's one where the God of the universe loves us enough to send his son, Jesus. And so if you're here or if you're online and you know and trust Jesus, you're invited to this table right now. What we do is we take a cup, It's got juice in it, but it represents Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross for us. And then we pick up a little cracker, and it represents his body that was broken. Jesus did this in front of his disciples. Do this in remembrance of me. And when we have so many things to look at and focus on outside, let's take a minute to look at ourselves and start with this simple place of confession that says, Jesus, I need you. I need you because I have been a sinner and I'm broken, and I've participated in some of the injustices and the wrong in this world. Would you meet me right here right now and join with me? I need you. Would you confess that today as you come to the table? Jesus, we know that you alone can give life. We know that you alone are truth, that you invite us to to know you and to walk with you and to live with you. As we come to your table right now, would you... Remind us of your unending, life-transforming offer of grace to each and every one of us. And would you use this moment to begin to recapture our hearts, to strengthen us, to heal us, to make us whole again, and to give us a hope and a future that you've called and designed for each and every one.